take a deep breath Take the higher road That's what they always say As if they know the way They won't take it from me But don't ever doubt yourself Cause life ain't just a dream You make your own So kick and scream The people will like With a never ending force You never had the chance So what you waiting for The day has come my friend Cause this is war If you haven't been living under a rock for the past couple of weeks, you have probably seen somewhere, whether it be on the news, and I'm not sure because I don't really watch the news, but maybe it's been on, or uh, maybe on the internet, or maybe on one of the socials about the train derailment and the chemical spill that happened earlier in the month in East Palestine, Ohio. And every time I hear about a story like that um, or something significant happening, especially since the last uh, three years, I tend to always look at it with a little bit of curiosity, discernment, some question asking, um, kind of gets my my wheels spinning a little bit. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to look at whether or not an event like what has just transpired in East Palestine, Ohio, which is it, it is it is a situation and it's problematic. Um, you know, on a on a global scale, it might seem small, right? Um, you know, for the residents of that community and for the state, um, it is very important. And I think as citizens of this country and and fellow humans, it's also very important. But I can't help but wonder. If something like that were to happen on an even larger scale, so maybe in a larger community, maybe a larger chemical explosion, maybe a larger chemical spill, if something like that were to happen on a larger scale, could that potentially begin the process of putting into place some things that then are perhaps linked to a larger plan or a larger agenda. And you may already be thinking, oh my gosh, Beth, what a crazy conspiracy theorist. And I wear that title (laughs) with, you know, like a badge of honor. Um, But I just don't look at anything anymore as an isolated incident. I I can't. I no longer have the ability to look at something as a one-off or this just happened on its own um, without thinking that maybe something else could come from it or that it's potentially linked to something else. That is just how my brain works. I am always asking questions. I am always looking for what could this possibly be leading to or what other dots could it be, um, you know, kind of connected to in a bigger picture. And I really want to talk about that today because 
you know, we're hearing so much out there about the climate and climate lockdowns and, you know, our government kind of coming in and, you know, swooping in and rescuing us and, uh, you know, we should trust them. We, they, they've had our best interests in mind over the last three years in everything they've done. You know, these are the stories that they keep sort of pushing on us and, um, manipulating us with fear tactics or, in my opinion, the most, uh, the, the largest amount of disinformation or misinformation out there is literally coming from our government. I don't know really what I believe anymore. Um, again, I don't take anything at face value and I'm always trying to kind of apply what I'm hearing with what I'm seeing in the outside world. And this case certainly is, is the same. I'm looking at this going, Hmm, what else might be happening here? And I just want to explore that a little bit. Um, and I want to work, I guess, maybe top to bottom. So kind of this big umbrella or these big concepts, and then maybe whittle them down. And we will eventually land back in East Palestine, Ohio, and then um, look at how I think maybe that isolated incident plays into some of these kind of larger um, global ideas. And even again, call me crazy. Maybe this was just a little test run. Maybe we'll see what the response is from, from folks in this smaller, tight-knit, rural community. Maybe the government's going, hmm, how much pushback are we going to get? What can we really accomplish? Maybe people on a global scale are saying, ooh, what's happening here? That would be interesting um, to see what the response is going to be like. How are these people going to um, respond to maybe orders that they're given? Um, all of those types of things. So I want to start big because really what we are facing, I wholeheartedly believe, is this global agenda. I think it's coming from two different places, but those two places are certainly working together. Um, the United Nations, I think, has a massive hand in all of this. Um, you know, again, the term United Nations is so lovely. It's such a kind of butterflies and rainbows, um, I don't know, title for this organization that feels like it should be doing humanitarian efforts and working towards global peace efforts and all of these really, really amazing concepts. But I don't, I don't think that that is 100% altruistic in nature and in development and in, um, I guess, rolling out of the things that it does to achieve maybe those ideas and put those concepts and create them into a reality. And the reason I say that is because there's this little thing called Agenda 2030. And if you're not familiar with it, I would encourage you to become familiar with it. Um, you can go onto the UN website and type in Agenda 2030. There's all different, um, you know, fractions of it. it. It covers a lot of things. Um, but one thing that I found very interesting 
was a, uh, a a resolution that was adopted by the General Assembly um, back in 2015. And I think it gives a very, very good overview of some of the things that they're working on accomplishing by the year 2030. Seven years. That is not a lot of time. And I am of the belief that a lot of this is happening at almost an accelerated pace now. And I think that COVID was a significant part of that. I think that government's kind of stepping in and being the savior of the people and us relinquishing a lot of our power to the governments was a great, great test run. Um, it was a way to, to assess small communities, large cities, um, look at sort of this maybe groupthink mentality um, about we're going to tell you what to do, um, who's going to follow those orders, who's not going to follow those orders. And it was very, it was done in a very blatant manner. I mean, they were literally orders that were handed down to us. Now, Agenda 2030 does it in um, much more... Um, I don't know, like a like a a way of oh well, how could you not want that? They're talking about you know world peace and all of these lovely concepts and ideas. I'm going to break it down for us because while at first read or at first listen, it sounds lovely. I personally have a lot of concerns pertaining this agenda to this agenda and this idea of a kind of one world governance. And if that comes with a set of laws and um, a, a one world police system or infrastructure, I have a lot of problems with that. And so what I found was this, you know, in this resolution, um, it's titled Transforming Our World the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable um, Development. And here's the vision. I'll just read it to you. Um, it says, in these goals and targets, we are setting out a supremely ambitious and transformational vision. We envision a world free of poverty, hunger, disease, and want where all life can thrive. We envision a world free of fear and violence, a world with universal literacy, a world with equitable and universal access to quality education at all levels, to healthcare and social protection, where physical, mental, and social well-being are assured, a world where we reaffirm our commitments regarding the human right to safe drinking water and sanitation, and where there is improved hygiene and where food is sufficient, safe, affordable, and nutritious, a world where human habitats are safe, resilient, and sustainable, and where there is universal access to affordable, reliable, and sustainable energy. Now, doesn't that just sound lovely? It sounds really lovely. Like you would almost argue, like, what could you not like about all of that? Well, I don't like a few things and I'm going to point them out. Um, number one, they openly admit that these goals are supremely ambitious. So when you have groups of people getting together that want to implement supremely ambitious 
things, especially then when you trickle down and you talk about universal things, it's going to take not only effort, but probably some of those efforts are not going to be um, the way in which we would all approach it because there's going to be certain people that don't want to buy into it. So what happens when you encounter those people? What happens when you encounter those countries that don't want to participate or those leaders that don't want to participate or those individuals that don't want to participate? Do they get to not participate? Or are there going to be supremely ambitious tactics used to get everyone to participate? I tend to think the latter, but that's just me. I also don't like the word equitable. I think that... You know, again, it sounds really lovely, but the problem is, is that when you, you overshadow people's ability to do what's best for themselves, to go out and work hard, to put forth effort, um, you know, to, to, to have people reach their full potential because of their independent hard work or their, um, knowledge or their skill set. It's watering things down so much and making us all lose our identity and, you know, kind of it's a leveling of the playing field, but not in the right sort of ways. Um, you know, it's, it's okay for all of us to think, yes, we're, we're all the same in, in our capabilities or our ability to go out and to, you know, educate ourselves and, and make ourselves who we want to be, everybody has that opportunity. Um, but this is sort of a watering down of that. I also am not a fan of the word universal. This sort of one size fits all approach to something, whether that be healthcare or a universal income or a universal education system. And the problem with that is ultimately somebody has to decide what that is. Who are these people that are going to come in and be like, oh, here's the universal income. Everybody gets this much and, you know, no more, no less. You have no ability to earn more. Um, this is what it is. You've got, you've got to make it work. Who decides that? Also, who decides what universal health care is? I've seen in my nursing, uh, my nursing career, people come to the United States from other countries that have universal health care in order to be treated in the United States. And that's for a myriad of reasons. That is because they can't get in to see their physician in a timely manner and they have a problem that needs to be addressed, um, you know, now or expeditiously. Um, they're put on a waiting list for a procedure. I mean, there's there are so many problems typically associated with a universal healthcare system. And I have personally taken care of people who have chosen to exit that system, either temporarily or permanently, and seek care outside of that system. You know, I also have a problem with a universal education system. And the other thing is, is that, I mean, this is kind of a twofold thing. Who gets to determine what is proper education and who gets to determine what then those curriculums are? We are putting so much power 
in other people's hands. You know, I think about I think about a world completely different than I live in. Like if I lived in a very, very small town or even a village or a type of community setting where a child's education is learning directly what happens in their home, how to cook, how to sew, how to do things, how to farm, how to do things that are directly related to either survival or your culture or a way of life, that is education. That's valuable. It's not going and sitting in a classroom for eight hours a day, but it's still education. And is that going to be stripped? Is that Are, are people going to be robbed of that? Is something going to be forcibly implemented on people who have lived in that manner and that's been their way of life for you know forever or folks may in the United States who traditionally send their children to public school or a school of their choice are is that going to be eliminated are the people that are going to implement this universal education system going to allow for private schools faith-based schools charter schools What's the curriculum going to be? Are parents going to have a say in the curriculum? These are all questions that go through my head when I read something like this that at first glance sounds really lovely. And as I personally dig in a little bit deeper, it sounds absolutely terrifying. And it sounds like people coming in and having way more control than anyone should ever have over our existence. So something else that I think is kind of connected to that is the World Economic Forum. I feel like the United Nations and the World Economic Forum are out like holding hands, skipping through a field, and then sitting down like on a picnic blanket, coming up with like, how they can just take over like this, you know, the, the, the words that they use and these imaging that they try to portray and push upon us of this, um, you know, this dystopian world that we could live in if we just buy into their little picnic talks. Um, what could this be like for us? And I am, I'm, I'm really, I'm terrified by it. And think I'm also like scared of the notion that there's a lot of people out there that have never heard of the World Economic Forum, that don't know who Klaus Schwab is, you know, the 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 leading, you know, head cheese of this unelected group of people that has global partnerships with, you know, companies from A to Z that are on board with all of these concepts that they are implementing. I think if you would have brought up the World Economic Forum, maybe pre-COVID, people have been like, oh yeah, that's a conspiracy theory. Like that's not really happening. No, it's happening. And they're, and they're people that have wealth and unlimited resources. And they get together every year 
Like this is what I talk about and other people talk about when we talk about this kind of global elite wanting all of this power and all of this control over us. This is how it's done. It's done through this shiny facade using words like equity and universal access and food and nutritious food. Like, again, I'll go back to that paragraph. Who decides how much food is enough for everyone? Who decides what is actually nutritious? Who's delivering this food? I I want to be as self-reliant as possible. And I want to remove myself from the concepts of these systems and the the actual tangible systems that already exist. I, I want to be far away from them. I do not want to be buying into this shiny language that they're using as, as, as a front to the control that they're trying to get. And they they are slowly but surely working and gaining traction on having control. And I think the United States is being heavily targeted because we're the West, right? We are this beacon of independence and freedom that I think a lot of the other countries around the world look to for, um, you know, I mean, you see it all the time. You see our culture in other countries, you see our foods in other countries, whether that be, you know, the golden arches or whatever else, um, you know, might seem culturally American, if you will. And I think we're sort of that kind of like last stand, like we're the last beacon of independence and sovereignty and our constitutional rights as an individual that have felt over the last three years, like they're eroding. And I think that they are being eroded intentionally because we are the last stronghold. I think for groups like the United Nations and the World Economic Forum, to come in and get these things put in place, potentially by the year 2030, it's going to take a lot of work to erode the United States. And kind of, you know, those are on like a real big scale, right? Like those are on the large global scale that Um, you know, some of us know about, some of us don't know about, maybe they became more apparent um, during COVID. But ultimately, they do trickle down. They do come down to obviously, the federal level, they come down to the state level, and they come down to the local level. And all of those levels have to kind of be in accordance or I don't know, maybe maybe going along with the plan, if you will, if this is going to come to fruition. And I think that it's also really important to look at things like Davos, right? You get the, the, the richest people, unlimited resources. They can all get together in one place once a year, once every couple of years, maybe. Like, it's not that far far-fetched at all this is how these things the 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 plan gets put into motion little by little and i think now looking back over the last couple of years 
maybe some of us that acknowledge what has been happening and what's going on have the ability for a little bit more foreshadowing. And then when things like East Palestine, Ohio take place, we almost look at it like, okay, what's coming next, right? Because we're those people that we're saying, it's not just two weeks to slow the spread. That's not it. We're we're way off. There is something way bigger coming. And we, we were right. We had mask mandates, we closed down your business, and then we had vaccine mandates and all of these things. Everything was just one more step um, for a power grab, for a control grab. And I look at what's happening in East Palestine, Ohio, and I try to put my thoughts one step ahead. And we're going to talk more about that. When we come back, I'm going to take a short little break and we will dive into maybe how some of these concepts get broken down onto a smaller level and maybe just some things to think about um, kind of as it links into the bigger picture. I am Nurse Beth. You are listening to Nurses Out Loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's time and this is You already know Genesis plus HOCL is your best defense against viruses. But did you also know it's the most powerful weapon for eliminating airborne mold too? Customers are raving about the Genesis Fogger's ability to tackle mold problems and the bad smells that go with them. And we all know mold is a hazard to your health. There's no airborne invader that Genesis can't handle. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free, love it, or your money back, guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code out loud. America Out Loud beats to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, you're troubled, confused, glad, and thankful. Well, we know you because we are you. AmericaOutloud.com. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio, the liberty and justice for all. So did you know that there are on average a little over 1,700 train derailments in the United States a year? Seems like a lot. And I'll be honest, I don't really think I hear about more than a couple a year. And those are probably if they're related to, you know, maybe an unfortunate mass casualty event or something similar to what's happening in Ohio right now, where a spill of chemicals or something that 
would maybe trigger the need for, um, I don't know, an, a news story or something like that. I mean, our railway system um, is across the entire country. I'm sure that there are parts of, you know, the railroad that, that no cars ever see, no people ever see, you know, backwoods or things like that, where something happens and there's there's no maybe um, ripple effect in that derailment that, that we see um, firsthand or up closer that maybe seems like it has a direct impact. And with this particular one that's happening in East Palestine, um, there is that chemical spill. And the chemical spill is interesting. It is a chemical called vinyl chloride and vinyl chloride is an ingredient that goes in and gets mixed with a bunch of other chemicals and ultimately makes PVC pipe. Now there is, uh, there are health ramifications, um, from long-term, short-term and long-term exposure, um, of vinyl chloride. And you can go on the EPA's website, um, and look at this, um, and the, the exposures really kind of range, whether it's short-term exposure, long-term exposure, but acute um, exposure for inhaling it to humans um, can be central nervous system issues like dizziness, drowsiness, headaches. Um, I think we can all maybe like think about what that would feel like, like, you know, breathing in a, a toxic chemical. Maybe we've all had some sort of... Um, you know, I don't know, maybe even if you use something really toxic to clean your shower with, you're like, Ooh, I've got a headache. Um, but then there's acute exposure, um, to high levels in animals has demonstrated different things. Again, those central nervous system complications or liver, um, kidney issues, um, also lung issues. Um, and then there's chronic effects. And the interesting thing about the chronic effects listed on the EPA website is that they differentiate between non-cancer and cancer. So again, liver damage um, is listed, um, peripheral neuropathy, which is like tingling or numbness in your um, extremities, your fingers, your toes. Um, and then there are uh, there's also listed as reproductive and developmental effects. So severe um, or several epidemiological studies have reported an association um, between vinyl chloride exposure in pregnant women and increased incidences of birth defects. Um, there's been caseworkers, you know, again, because if you're using a product that then gets mixed with other things to create another product, there's, um, you know, always the, the risk of looking at um, regular work exposure, right? Um, but there's, there's been um, exploration, I guess, from workers looking at um, testicular damage, um, decreased male fertility. Uh, those have been looked at in animals, so in rats in particular. Um, and then there is there is the cancer risk. Um, so there's a rare form of liver cancer that have been um, looked at. Animal studies have shown an angiosarcoma of the liver. Um, rat studies show carcinogenic um, effects. So this isn't just a benign thing that's happening. And if you're anything like me and you have a 
relatively strong distrust of the government at this stage of the game. I, I see this kind of as, as twofold. Um, And as it kind of relates back into the bigger picture of maybe what the UN is trying to implement and the World Economic Forum is trying to kind of implement, implement, um, which I should also mention, the World Economic Forum is real big on this concept of a 15-minute city. Because again, everything is being looked at through this like climate change filter, right? On the heels of COVID, we now have the new the new topic is climate change and how we're going to save the planet and, you know, moving towards electric vehicles and reducing your carbon footprint and all of these things under, under the guise of we're in a climate crisis. And this concept of a 15 minute city is, um, again, in my opinion, a really scary concept that they're actually already starting to implement. So I did um, see on the WEF website that Paris looks like it's going to either trial or become a 15 minute city. And what that is, is that you live and everything that you need, every service that you would need provided to you, um, food, entertainment, healthcare, education, Uh, Whatever that is that you need, and again, probably a service provided by a governmental system or an entity independent of uh, of a business, you know, being owned independently, whether that's a restaurant or a grocery store or whatever the case may be. But everything that you need is going to be within 15 minutes, either walking or riding your bike. So this concept is, is that we're going to reduce carbon emissions. We're going to lower, you know, people aren't going to need to drive anywhere um, because everything they're going to need is just 15 minutes away. And then if you want to go 15 minutes out, well, there's going to be a tax for that. And we're probably going to keep track of where you're going and how far you're going and how many times a, a week or a month or a year you go outside of that 15 minutes. So think about how much easier it is to implement these uh, global systems if everyone is packed in tight like like sardines, right? If you've got people living way out who are self-sufficient and who are growing their own food and are taking care of their health so they rarely need to be in the medical system, they're homeschooling their their kids, they're not in the educational system, those people are very, very hard to control. And if we're looking at this from a system of how can we control the people, how can we implement these universal systems, how can we get everybody to buy into this, the last thing you want is people being self-sufficient, living on their own, having a small farm, being kind of out and off the grid, right? So in East Palestine, Ohio, again, from my perspective, there's maybe a couple of things that could happen. And this is where my foreshadowing brain comes in. So we have a government that I don't trust, that they're telling the people, no, the air is safe, The water is safe. You can stay in your home. Everything is good. 
and there are these black ominous clouds looming over the city <laughs> that don't look safe by any means that have come up from this explosion of this vinyl chloride, which as I just read, has hazardous effects to your body, both in the short term and in the long term. So, you know, air quality is compromised. You have this substance in the water now and it's leaching. Like once it's in the water, it's, it's in the land, it's in, you know, the, the different waterways. And you have your government saying, no, 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 it's safe. It's safe to drink. Now, mind you, this is the same government for the last three years that told you to walk around with a mask on for a self-limiting viral infection with a 99.6 survival rate. Telling you to social distance from people six feet, telling you to stand on the arrows in the grocery store, telling you to vote by mail, don't go to your polls because this virus and don't breathe fresh air because of this virus, but thousands of gallons of this harmful chemical has just exploded and has sent plumes into the air, but everything is fine. No need to panic. I, I, I distrust our government so much. I don't believe a word they say. And this is a perfect example of that. A perfect example. Now, here's where it gets tricky. If this is a potential dry run, if this is a potential test. So do the citizens of this community come together, which I they already have. I've seen some videos of, of you know, I think like little town halls and, um, you know, this community is gathering saying, what is happening here? Like, why are we not getting any aid, any support? Why is, um, you know, the president not addressing this? Why is the uh, railroad company not addressing this? Um, I think it's Norfolk, North, Norfolk Southern. Yeah. Um, you know, there hasn't been word really from anyone. Uh, I think recently there has been, but over the first like week and a half, there was nothing. It was like radio silence about what these people were going through, except for them being told, no, everything is fine. And people could clearly see that things were not fine. So what happens when there are rules and regulations and laws already in place by the EPA? by the CDC on the flip side of things, right? Like what now happens if that land is deemed toxic? What rights do those people have to their own property? What rights does the local government have to those people's property? What rights do the federal, does the federal government have to those people's property. What if they come in at a local level and say, nope, everything is unsafe. You've got to get out of here. Grab your belongings, grab your pets, load up what you can load up in your car, and you got to go. What if they say your body is contaminated and we have to put you in a, in a quarantine camp? 
center. What if they move you out of your home and then they say, ooh, well, here's the thing. You actually can't come back because it's so contaminated that the government has to, you know, seize the land and, and, and take, we've got to take charge of this cleanup process. Is that a thing? It might be. There's a lot of really, really good information on the EPA website. Now, I am not a lawyer. I thought about going to law school once or twice. I've had a couple of friends tell me that I should go to law school once or twice. I haven't done it, nor do I have any plans at the moment to do so. And I wish that my legalese were better because I wish I could interpret some of the stuff that I am reading because I think it's fascinating. I think it's fascinating that there are, you know, laws in place, obviously, for the protection of us as citizens. And we also have things in place protecting us via the Constitution. But what I think is critically important to acknowledge is that all of that seemed to go by the wayside and get thrown out the window over the last three years. So over the last three years, we had to do things that we would never have done before. We would have never closed our businesses. We would have never sheltered in place. We would have never closed down schools before. Th those aren't even those aren't even things that the government should be able to do. And yet we did them because we were absolutely bombarded nonstop 24-7 with fear tactics by our government, and we relinquished all of our own independent personal power, thought processes, critical thinking. We just handed that over to the government under the guise of public safety. It's for your safety. We know better than you do. We'll take care of everything. Trust us. We're your government, and we're here to help. Does the same apply now that we have what appears to be a toxic chemical spill in East Palestine, Ohio? Did we learn from what has happened over the last three years about what happens when the government comes in and says, oh, we're here to help? Uh, you guys should shelter in place. Uh, we should remove you from your homes and put you someplace that is quote unquote safer for you. Oh, you can never return to your home. What is the potential next thing that the government has the ability to do because they've laid the foundation over the last three years and because potentially, ultimately, it's part of something bigger? So from what I can gather, East Palestine, Ohio is like more of a rural community, right? Seems pretty tight knit, um, you know, like a like a nice, a nice little little community. What if all of those people get ushered, ushered in somewhere else? As this like, maybe this this test run could potentially be going. There was a movie about it on Netflix about a train derailment and a toxic spill in Ohio. Kind of interesting. 
But what happens if all of those people then get displaced and they're kind of ushered in? And this one particular government jurisdiction gets to do that. Do we see that more elsewhere? Do we see, we've, we've seen two chemical plants in addition to um, this train derailment burning up and putting hazardous stuff into the air. Maybe a vicinity within that, um, that plant or that exposure, those people have to evacuate. Is this a potential approach to testing citizens, seeing how much we are either going to push back or not push back, how easy it might be to relocate people, property issues? I don't know. The interesting thing about this to me is the lack of, I guess, maybe response by authorities. If it is part of this kind of, you know, bigger plan, um, relocate people, see how much the government can get away with, they're moving a little bit slow, or they're waiting to be called on by the people in this town to say, hey, what are our options? Which I think is also very valid, right? Like I, I think that, you know, as even though I am, uh, you know, wildly skeptical of any of our government's good intentions, I also think that this is such a unique situation for these people. They don't know what to do. They don't know who to turn to. And maybe that is where you have to have enough trust to still listen with discernment. If the authorities come in and say, here are your options, you still maybe then get to choose what's best for you rather than being told or mandated or dictated to what you have to do. Maybe that's the better approach. Maybe that's the better way to kind of look at all of this. But... I just can't help but wonder if something like this is a is a way for the authorities to uh, create a situation or have a situation, whether created or not, whether it was a, a fluke or intentional or a combination of both or negligence or, you know, a freak accident. Whatever the case may be surrounding the the origin of the derailment, which, again, the number of derailments a year is quite high. Um, But in the last couple of weeks, there have been like five around the country. So, again, awfully curious and maybe other derailments happening to pull focus away from the one in Ohio make it seem like, oh, this happens all the time type of situation. I don't know. Because again, I'll be honest, we don't really hear much about train derailments if there's 1,700 of them a year, but we've heard about five within the last few weeks. So, so you know, some, something something to maybe, maybe dive in even a little bit deeper on than I am here. But if Ohio is... Um, 
you know, all eyes, I think, are on it at this point, um, at least from a standpoint, if you are somebody that, that digs a little deeper or looks for information outside of the mainstream media, I don't think it's been covered very well. I could be wrong on that because, again, I don't watch the news or anything really that's on, um, you know, mainstream. But if Ohio is just a small taste of either the response of our authorities the lack thereof, or maybe a meeting in the middle trying to kind of gauge what, what its citizens are doing. Could, could something similar happen on a larger scale in the form of a climate lockdown? I think this has been kind of rattling around in a lot of people's heads since COVID happened and since we saw people just kind of, again, roll over and give in to whatever the government was saying to do. Just it seemed so easy for people to just be like, yep, I'm just blindly trusting the government. They told me I have to stay in my house, even though I'm perfectly healthy and, and not go anywhere and not do anything. That sounds reasonable. I'm going to go ahead and do that. Very astonishing to me. But could people really then buy into this concept of, um, you know, no, you need to you need to only live somewhere where you can only go 15 minutes. The climate is in such crisis that you can only ride your bike as far as 15 minutes, you know, 15 minutes away from your house. Are people going to buy into that? Are we going to see, um, and if people aren't going to buy into that, are we going to see things happen that maybe are planned, that maybe are strategic, that maybe it is, an internal, you know, an uncommon warfare, if you will. I I feel like we often think that war happens from the outside. And I am wholeheartedly convinced at this stage of the game that no war can be happening, um, you know, on the inside that an attack can start from within. And Maybe we will experience some of those attacks um, as kind of this ultimate goal to erode and corrode and break down, um, break down the United States to to ultimately be kind of the, I don't know, the the last piece of the puzzle that needs to fall in order to accomplish some of these kind of larger strategic plans that are definitely in place and are definitely, um, you know, step-by-step step, the, pl the plan is coming to coming to fruition and coming to reality. I pray for the people of East Palestine. I can't imagine what that must feel like to be in that situation of this sort of like unknowing and, um, you know, the, this maybe sense of, Nobody's here to help, but at the same time, what is that help really going to look like moving forward? How much trust do you put into the authorities if and when they come? What is that going to look like for those people? I don't know. That's got to be a very kind of unsettling, unsettling feeling. I don't wish that upon anyone. Um, and of course, you know, we talk about maybe the long-term health effects that nobody knows about yet, obviously. Um, 
you know, I think that that dark cloud that is still kind of looming in the area um, has, it, it's, it's got to be scary. It's got to be terrifying. A lot of questions that need to be answered. I think the local authorities um, have some explaining to do. I think that the train company has a lot of explaining to do, um, which is actually really interesting because the same railway company had a second derailment. That was the one that happened outside of Detroit. So two derailments from the same company. Something's happening there, um, which I think is, I don't know, I'll probably dig in on that too. I don't know. I think that that's very, very interesting. And I don't think that it is a coincidence because I don't believe in coincidences. Um, so something going on, you know, with either the trains or the routes that they're running on or something, but it's, it's very, very strange to me that within a couple of weeks, the same company has had, um, two derailments, but this is, I think a story that needs to continue to have eyes on it, especially for the unknown surrounding what is going to happen to that community. Um, what happens to that community could be significant for the rest of our country. Um, what the local authorities are going to do, what they have the rights to do, how much pushback they're going to get from the community what the federal authorities have the right to do, um, what pushback they will get from their local community. And I also think it's going to be really important to see what, if any, assistance this community gets and whether or not that assistance will look altruistic and potentially not be, or if the assistance is going to be altruistic and, you know, truly for the benefit and to help those people in that community. I also think that something that'll have to be watched in the long term are the health ramifications of that. Um, you know, anytime I hear something like this, I, I immediately think of Aaron Brockovich, right? And that movie and the all of the people that were involved in the cover-up and the lack of disclosure of accurate information that was happening um, with the water. The other thing I think we need to look at coming from this, and this is like a whole nother topic independent of, you know, the big umbrella that I laid out about, you know, the, the UN and the World Economic Forum, but where does where does the Ohio River go? And what does, you know, all of the land that potentially could be impacted by a water system now that is potentially contaminated? Other cities, other states, anywhere in those surrounding areas, you know, the food sources that are potentially impacted by a water source that is contaminated. Ooh. I, I mean, that in and of itself is such a massive concept and that's such a huge thing to think about in the long, in the long term. 
who's testing the water, who's looking at it, um, what local farms use that water source. Um, it is, it's a big deal. It's a really big deal. What impact a month from now, a year from now, two years from now, does this one particular incident have? And if I'm really going to be wearing my tinfoil hat, which I wear proudly, is this a potential match that lit a fuse to, you know, burn something bigger to ultimately have it play into something larger. We talk about food supply all the time. We talk about water supply all the time. We talk about getting people off of their rural, you know, farms and, and ushered back into these cities all the time. And could this be an event that maybe on a microscopic level seems small at the moment, not for those people, not to discredit anything that those people in that community are going through. But if something can happen in East Palestine, Ohio, and have such a large ripple effect, could the ripple effect be what was intended to happen? I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. My brain definitely asks those questions and it, you know, I always look at everything through that lens of could there be something more behind this? Could this be significantly bigger than what it just appears to be? So with that being said, that is all the time I have uh, for today, friends. But remember, we are here on the air five days a week. Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern with a different nurse host daily. Please be sure to tune in and listen to myself and my amazing sister nurses. As we walk you through all of these hot topics, we will empower you with information and education. We will advocate and we will stand in the gap for you because we are nurses and this is what we do. I'm your host, Nurse Beth, and you can find me here every Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern with an encore at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Be sure to make AmericaOutloud.com your daily stop for all the latest news and happenings. We all must do our part and share these stories, the articles, the podcasts, and videos so we can help secure America's future. Until next time, be safe, be well, and God bless. And join us weekdays with a different nurse host daily, where no topic is off limits as we shine our lights and expose the darkness. It's time and